You're listening to episode 221 of the Comics Pals. We're a group of comic book journalists and friends who record a podcast together because we don't talk enough about comics in our daily lives. So, Sean, last week, uh, you know, we talked about how really we just needed the two of us. We could probably fire everybody else. But we said if Marco was was good, he did a good job editing, that he could keep his job. Uh, So here, Marco's back. Oh, uh hey. Hey everybody! Thanks. It was uh, it was a close call. You know, it was a rigorous test. Um, I had to had to definitely just make sure that I I didn't um um um. Oh my God! Line. <laughs> you forgot oh, how to do it. The guy up. leaves for one week. <laughs> totally forget. Jesus, Marco. But I'm back, baby. <laughs> oh, happy New Year! Happy New Year, buddy. Welcome back. I'm glad you're not dead. Same. <laughs> <laughs> well, you picked a good week to come back uh, because there's there's quite a few things going on. Uh, Just I mean, sleep? it is it's Wandavision weekend. Oh, it's Wandavision weekend. Uh, Hi. So we actually reviewed Wandavision for you guys, the three of us. Uh, so if you want to listen to that, make sure that you jump over uh, to that review. Um, we reviewed the first two episodes. It's a half-hour comedy show. I guess you could call it a comedy. I think it's a horror show. but um, That's called <laughs> horror-dy. Doesn't work as well as dramedy, but I'm going to try and coin it right now. Hmm. All right. Well, hopefully that sticks because if it does, it'll probably apply to Doctor Strange. And then – Strong point. You know, you and can- of course, you know, Sam Raimi – uh, directing that film, probably the progenitor of the genre with Army of Darkness. So yeah, it's all coming full circle. Yeah. I guess say Spider-Man 3. <laughs> yes, of course. The famous horror comedy, Spider-Man 3. <laughs> it was pretty horrific, and there were some jokes. So, yeah. <laughs> I mean, you're not really wrong there. It's the one with the dance, right? Yeah. yeah. My question is like, is that a, is it supposed to be a joke? We'll never know. You know, the it's dance. The, that is, yeah, it's the proge- it's the progenitor of hard hardy. Yeah, that like was a I- horrendously scary yet <laughs> raucous uh, dance. <laughs> it's it's bone chilling, truly. <laughs> For those of you who can't see, I'm doing the Spider Man thing. Head over to YouTube. You're gonna you're gonna want to watch this. <laughs> Speaking of which, while you were on our YouTube page, make sure that you guys are hitting that subscribe button, hitting the like button, doing all that stuff. Um, get us on social media at the Comics Pals. Get us on the email at the Comics Pals at gmail.com if you want to write in and talk to us um, on social at the Comics Pals as ever. Wherever it is that you guys are listening to us, make sure that you are leaving us a rating. That helps us out a ton. All of those things are free to do, and they help us out a lot more than they cost you. Uh, join our Discord server. Come hang out with us. We're always having a good time over there, and uh, I think you will too if you join. Uh, big announcement. Big, big, big announcement. Well, it's uh, happening. Well, in two weeks, I think two weeks, uh, you will be able to listen to our first book club of the year. Which is, drum roll, Uh, 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 Pete. I I got it. Uh, Civil War. Civil War! 
Oh yes. shit! It's civil war. Oh, Wait, shit. somebody put their fist up against the camera real quick, like mine. Ah, we're fighting it's civil oh. war. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, so, for those of you who don't know, civil war is one of my favorite comics ever. Certainly, my favorite events. Certainly, my favorite event ever. And uh, we just never did it. We just never got around to it. But 2021 new year new us and we're going all the way back to 2006 to what i feel is one of the greatest eras of marvel comics and we're going to be talking civil war we had a great conversation i can't wait for you guys to be able to listen to it we read a lot for it uh we didn't just read the event itself we read several of the tie-ins i think um if as long as you're willing to commit to a certain amount of tie-ins, the event is incredibly enhanced by them. Definitely. We will put out the list. I think we actually already it's put on our out Instagram. the list. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's it's out, but I think what we'll do is uh, like on our story, we'll just probably like reiterate these are the things that we read and, and yeah. announce the book officially. Yep. So if you guys want to go ahead and check that out, uh you can. That way when we do release the episode, you will be able to have read everything we read. And you can join in on that conversation. So you can expect that last Tuesday of the month. Sean, is is the release of Civil War a political statement of some sort, considering <laughs> the transition of power from uh, uh, to Jay Garrick as president? <laughs> uh, you know what, Marco? It's actually a statement on where we are as a group the comics yeah, yeah. we um, are in a way we, you know in our own civil war we are in True. a civil war now that's why, yeah. that's why two of us have been consistently missing you know yeah. there's infighting going on exactly yeah. that's why you're wearing blue that's why i got I'm blue black. on too yep see uh so you know uh that's all it is but yeah <laughs> that's I, all <laughs> just the schism of this podcast yeah, no worries. That would have been um, it would have been really fucking funny if we had timed that where like around the Civil War book club we like had Kale and Phil record like an alternative episode of the show. <laughs> <laughs> Same news that, stories. <laughs> that could have happened, but now it can't because you said it. Just edit it out. Just snip it right out. <laughs> They'll never know. <laughs> Oh man. All right, cool. So let's actually let's actually get into some listener comments. Uh and our first one up is from Garrett Harshman. Yeah, so Garrett wrote over uh, on the Discord, uh just like you can, and said, What is a book that you recommend to people who oh, I'm sorry, no. This was on the YouTube channel. Yeah. Over on the YouTube channel, just like you can. And said, what is a book that you recommend to people who aren't big into comics and may think of them as nothing more than children's superhero stories? For me, I usually recommend Saga or Witches. I think Saga would definitely be on our shortlist. Um, when we, I know we've answered this question like probably over 100 episodes ago, and Saga would have been on the list then. Still on the list for me now. Um, yeah. Immediately accessible story, I think. And um, it's got themes that are very familiar right like war family love like these are all like very uh universal things i think anybody can get something out of saga i i definitely think witches is also a really good choice that was probably one of the uh one of the big first books that i got from image outside of a saga that i was like enthralled in and and 
I remember that was also like as I was getting into comics just generally. Uh, so another, I think, great choice, especially if it's like that kind of horror vibe you're going for. Written by Scott Snyder. And I think there was Jock or I know the, the colors were Matt, Matt Hollingworth. I think it was Jock. Yeah. And uh, great production, great art. And I think a great story, especially if that's the kind of uh, angle you want to approach comics from. The the other choice that I had been thinking about was Bone. I remember oh. that it even though it's like a little bit more YA, I do think that it's uh, a great fun story about like family, about um, adventures, and uh, it's it's a little bit on the longer side, like nine volumes, but I, it's well worth the time. I think it's it's a it's a great introduction, especially um, to reading panels. Because it's nothing. None of it is super uh, abstract. There's not a lot of uh, uh, like weird page orientations or ways to read it. It's pretty straightforward in terms of paneling, um, and the story is really engaging. Yeah, I think um, to Marco's point, that's probably something that's worth keeping in mind too. Is like who is the target audience? Because you know the question says like how do you get someone who's like not familiar with comics, um, kind of that inroad. And I think the easiest way is to find something that speaks to their sensibilities, right? Like if they like horror, show them a good horror book. If they like comedy, give them a comedy, right? Um, there's a book for every reader, and I think that's what's so great about comics. And, you know, you can kind of tailor it to what – like if, if they're somebody who doesn't do the superhero thing, who isn't into like stuff that's fantastical or anything at all, like – give them a grounded, you know, real world kind of story, right? And if you know that they're into like swords and sorcery, like lean into that stuff, you know? Um, and there's so many great examples, but I think um, you definitely want to lean more towards, at least in my opinion, something that is like self-contained. I think like a creator owned, like it's a straight line book is always a better solution where they can pick it up and there's a beginning and an end um, because that's what they're used to. You know, not something that even is like, you know, um, like a continuity light story or something that you could read as its own thing. That I think is sometimes a little hard to like contextualize for them, you know, whereas like, again, something like a saga or or whatever, you can just pick it up and, and follow it. Yeah. So I, I think that. They're like Pete said, I think the biggest thing to keep in mind is that there is a book for everyone. And you do want to try to make your recommendation based on who that individual is. Uh, for me, I actually was not aware of how many people liked non-superhero comics until I took a class with the comics experience. And everyone in the class with me, we, we were asked by the, the host of the class to speak on the books that we like. And everyone else said things that were not superhero books. Uh, Sandman was a big one that, that people said got them into comics. Uh, Monstrous was another one. Um, at the time, that book was like completely brand new, I think. And um, that was another one. Um, just, just all these different books that I had either never heard of or never engaged with. And I was so surprised. And that actually opened my mind to the world of indies. Even though I had read a few myself, I didn't realize the breadth and how impactful they were, how impactful they could be. And I think it's important 
for people to know that comics are more than superhero comics. And I love superhero books. You're not going to find a bigger fan than me. But I, I think it's it. we need other things. And so I guess to answer the question, um, I would throw things out there like um, something is killing the children. I think if you like horror, if maybe you, you're a little bit younger, um, I think that's a that's a particularly strong uh, option. You know, that reminded me of is I think if you uh, grew up or the person you're trying to like get into it grew up uh, listening to emo music, Umbrella Academy, you can be like, Gerard Way from My Chemical Romance wrote this, you know, and it's like self-contained and it's its own deal. And it's got a little bit of the superhero thing going on, but it is kind of different than that, too. Yeah, I know a lot of people who I could hand uh, a hardcover of Tokyo Ghost to. Yes, that would really love it. Uh, That's a great Rick one. Remender. Um, uh, you know, if you if you like want a little more meat on your bones in terms of you know content, subject matter, uh, Abbott is a good one, or um, Infidels, another good one sure. by Salin Ahmed. Um, I think some more. Um, it- Brian K. Vaughn and another Brian K. Vaughn work. I think uh, Why the Last Man was a, is a very accessible book that I've given to non-comics readers. Post-apocalyptic, yeah. it's you know it's familiar territory. One of the uh, and by the way, uh, Salad and Ahmed did Abbott, not um, not Infidel. But one of the things that I also really enjoy is whenever someone's like, "Oh yeah, I really love this TV show or this movie," and I can say, "Yeah, that's a comic book." Yeah, and Walking like, Dead's another what? great. That's a great in-road book. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I, I just try to use any of those kinds of opportunities to put people on, and you know, I would actually love to curate a list and really analyze the question a little more uh, because I we have gotten this question in the past, and um, I would like to put our stamp on that in some way. So That'd be a good YouTube video. Yeah. Ex- Boom. Yeah. Uh, look for future content around that question. Thanks a lot, Garrett. Really appreciate that. Yeah. One, thanks Garrett. for writing in. And then we also got a comment from uh, Catherine Stars on the on episode 220. All right. So Catherine wrote in and said, Weeb Chat represent. I want to give a shout out to all those Ooh. friends there because thanks to those Dragon Ball chats, I got less shy about speaking to everyone in the Discord. Also, shout out to Sean for inviting me initially. Great decision to join. Also, this week's thumbnail is great. LOL. <laughs> Thank you for that. Uh, thanks for reading and responding to my comments. It's appreciated. Well, thank you for writing in. Uh, we did really appreciate all of the uh, the comments you had here on um, the Black Panther conversation and the Spider Man costume and and uh, and and all the stuff we talked about last week. And you know, we would love to dig into everything again. Uh, but we have such a stacked show this week that we're gonna have to just keep barreling on. Uh, but thank you again for writing, Catherine. We really appreciate hearing from you. Definitely, and uh, keep writing in, please. You know, let's actually jump into the pals polls and uh let's start with marco crimson flower number one what is this crimson flower is a matt kent book i'm a huge matt kent fan uh, and he's actually doing it with matt lewinski who i've brought up in the past his book the freak he has this Mm. like crazy art style where he like elongates bodies and uh, the the line work is really like heavy and then the inks come in sort of like dotted it's just really eccentric work um and so this is a, a one of his like first i guess bigger profile books because he's working with matt kent um and yeah dude I, I love both of these creators so definitely excited to see them doing something 
that is larger for Matt's uh, sort of stock to rise and um, for this collaboration. It's it's been awesome. If you want to check his work out, at Matt draws comics, M A T T, and yeah, like uh, really recommend his art. Awesome. Uh, and then you also chose Rain Like Hammers, number one. This is an image book by Brandon Graham. It's a great and, title. <laughs> yo. That's like fucking his, metal as shit. <laughs> it yeah. looks like it's going to be like a weird futuristic office drama. So maybe a little like disconnect with the with the title. But um, I, I love Graham's work. He has his very manga influence style as well as um, especially as his art has grown. Um, his colors have gotten a little bit more complex. Typically, it's like really flat. But every every so often, he comes out with a book that has like multiple shades, um, uh, different kind of inks, and this is a very um, interesting style. Yeah, like like he's his style is I think for me, uh, super emblematic of what comics look like. It like like for me like like that is the style that I imagine sort of a flatter anime as well as a uh, a comic book and hmm. so the marrying of those styles is what brings me to his stuff all the time so definitely something for for me to look out for nice rain like hammers that's a i love it um, very bold interestingly yeah mm-hmm. i chose abbott 1973 number one nice. i just mentioned abbott earlier <laughs> uh I really loved the initial Abbott sound. That was how I got put on to Saladin Ahmed, I believe. And uh, it was really, really cool. Um, it basically follows this woman who is a reporter in Detroit in, I want to say, the 70s or 80s. I believe it's the 80s. And she is experiencing some very weird uh, supernatural things while she's on while she's on the beat. And she's got an interesting life full of a supporting cast that is compelling. And I thought that the story actually had a lot to say. And so it's worth picking up if you want, because it's only like five issues, I think, or something like that. So if you want something short and sweet, not sweet, actually really disgusting, but quality, uh, go pick up the original and then pick up this, um, this, I guess, prequel. Uh, it, I'm sure it'll be worth your time. Cool. You said Chicago, Sean. I said Detroit. Detroit, never Michigan. Mind. Yeah. I was gonna make a deep dish pizza joke. It never mind. Well, something, something, cars. <laughs> I didn't even get that. Oh, cars! Right. He said yeah. factories okay. there. Boom. Yep. Yep. <laughs> it's been so long since that was true. Back when America made things, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, all right, cool. So I actually want to take a little time here to talk about future state. So we are two weeks in and, uh, each of us has read, you know, a certain amount of the new future state books. And this is, this conversation is not really about like who's read more or having read everything. We're not trying to judge the whole thing right now. I just, want to kind of check in see how we're feeling about it yeah um i so i like i said on the last episode i i you know i get into the store 
And I'm like, damn, okay. Turns out I want all these books. Everything I said is out <laughs> the fucking window. <laughs> um, and, and so I didn't pick up absolutely everything, but I did pick up a few. Uh, the ones that I genuinely wanted to read were Swamp Thing, The Next Batman, uh, and Dark Detective. Those were the ones that I was really compelled by. Uh, I also picked up Wonder Woman because I wanted to see you know, who this Yara Flores was and what, what her story was going to be about. Um, and I picked up Justice League because I'm a sucker, and that's <laughs> that's all I, I've picked up so far. Um, so what's that? Six books? Uh, uh, five five books? Yeah, yeah, yeah. five books. And I personally started off with Wonder Woman. That was the first Future State book that I read. Okay. And mine too, actually. Yeah. There you go. Uh, and uh, you know, it's. I really did, disliked it. I really disliked it. I didn't think that it was like it didn't have anything to say, and it was a weird. It was the worst like entry point I've ever seen for a new character. This is a brand new character, and I have no idea what in the world was going on. Unless I'm mistaken, and she's appeared elsewhere and has a backstory that I don't know about. I guess oh. I could be mistaken, but I'm pretty sure she's just brand new yeah i think you're right and um i just didn't i didn't <laughs> it was it was a weird experience and i honestly felt the same way about the next batman i don't mm-hmm. i don't really enjoy it when dc because they do this a lot they've done this like three or four times now where they just drop you off at some later date with their entire publishing line. They did yeah. it with the one year later. They did it with um, the, the, I forget now what it was called, but it was when they were moving to Burbank, California. Oh, from New York. Uh, Future's End. Future's End. And all to me, all of these things they do with, with that are bad uh, because I'm not connected. The next Batman, okay, cool. He's, Tim Fox is already he's already in it. He's already doing it. It's about the family drama, but I don't know what's going on. And I don't you're dropping me in to what's supposed to be theoretically the most interesting part of the story. However, you've not established the things that make it the most interesting part of the right. story. And that's a balancing act that is difficult and it's even more difficult when you're saying these characters have a long history you just don't know it and we're not interested in telling you i think i think to me it speaks to a broader problem um that i've had with other books that we've read uh from dc like specifically mr miracle comes to mind where that is a story that starts in the middle and i think that um I didn't actually have this opinion until you just said that, Sean, and it kind of clicked for me. I think I've realized I don't like that as a device in comics if you're reading them monthly. Um, the whole – I forget there's a word for it where you start in the middle of the story um, and then you kind of catch up to that point. And, like, that works in a movie because I'm sitting and watching it for two hours and then it's over and I can digest it, not I'm going to be reading this over the course of months ostensibly – or maybe not. Maybe I read this issue and I'm like, eh, and I never touch it again. Um, and I think with that in mind, you need to approach it in a different way. And, like, it's funny because um, I I read Wonder Woman first, but I read it after you guys did. And I saw that both of you had said you didn't like it. So I went into it being like, oh, this is going to suck. 
and I didn't think it sucked. Um, I, I, in fact, I thought the art was great. Um, oh yeah. Every, everyone knows Joel Jones is a great artist. Like that's not news, but like I thought it fucking whipped. Like there were really good moments. I really like her her like um her use of like just like dot work and the way that like some of the like panels were broken up and like the way that like she like paced comedy scenes. Like there's so much good in the art, and I love uh, Yara's character design. I think her costume is so fucking cool. Like I think she looks immediately like interesting and like i want to follow the story because like i love the look i love the vibe but for the actual issue we got it felt very paint by numbers like it felt like one of those kind of um i don't know like like when you're starting off a new run of a familiar character and they have kind of like a here's a truncated introduction to the character because we all know that you know who spider-man is right and it's like it's got that kind of energy to it, but I don't know who Yara is, and like I don't know who she has history with, and like what she's about, and like who her father is, and like all that stuff. Like I don't know any of that, you know. And like giving me glimpses of it, I'm sure I'll learn more of it later. But to me, like I I felt like I needed more to connect with the character, you know, because it's like she's already off on this journey, on this mission that I'm like, oh, like I, I don't even know who she is or what she's about. You know, and it felt like it wanted to show me that she's like a rude dude with attitude, you know, and it's like, all right, cool. But like, it feels a little boiled down for a character that I don't know at all yet. Yeah. And I think about it versus like the first introduction of like Miles Morales, right? Where like you meet him in the context of like Peter's death and that first scene of him pulling the mask up and he's like, holy shit, like, what did I just do? And he's sweating and you're like, oh, that's human. Right? Like, I get this fear, and it's rooted in relation to a character I know who is gone, and, like, I miss him, and I feel that void, and so does Miles, you know? And, like, I don't know, that feels rooted in emotion. This just feels like, hey, here's here's Yara. Check her out. And I'm not saying I can't get into it or I can't like her, but I don't feel like this did a good job of, like, I don't know, of getting its hooks in me and showing me why I should care. Other than that, like, you know, she's a badass new Wonder Woman and she's got a cool fucking costume and she's really hot because Joelle Jones drew her. And it's like, that's all great. Like, she's dope. She looks dope. But I don't know. The, her her art got me into the door. But yeah. I think it, it was the fact that I didn't get a sense of her personality. Mm. You know, outside of the, like, I'm a badass vibe that she puts out. That's not. And she's impatient. That, yeah, that that that's sort of more what it what it came across as a little bit, and I and I think if anything, it was a uh, it it didn't tell me anything about her her character uh, outside of that she's like action oriented, and like that's fine for a, an action book, mm-hmm. um, but considering it's I think this is only going to be two issues, I don't feel like I'm going to get Wait, much really? more of her anyway. It's I only think, two I, issues. I think Future all of them State are, is only lasting until march so yeah yeah so oh, shit i didn't realize that this is so this is the number one of two right so we're definitely not going to explore her character we're just going to see her go through the motions of something and at the end of the day she'll save the day and fine but to your point i need more yeah like i want to know like what makes her tick like who is she what are what's her what are her values like what does she fight for why is she wonder woman like 
who, who, who does she care about? Who are her friends? Who does she love? Like that kind of stuff, you know? Um, that's like what makes you like care about a character and root for them and like care about their journey and their struggle, you know? Yeah. And, uh, you know, with so these characters will will still be around. Yeah. That's what the vibe I get from uh, Infinite Frontier. We will still have them. We already know of some of the creative teams that will work on these characters post future state. And, you know, again, that's that's fine. Uh, just as an intro, I'm really I'm not pleased right now. And um, I think, again, this is DC's big experiment is can we sell people the Walmart style comic um, in mass? You know, can we put that in, in, in comic shops and get people to buy it? And one of the things that those books were famous for was the backup issues. And um, here with Future State, at least, I haven't enjoyed them. I have not enjoyed the backups. I skipped the backup. Um, I, I read so I, I we said I I um I read three books. I did Wonder Woman, Swamp Thing, and um Superman of uh Metropolis, Metropolis. the one about uh Jonathan. And um I started reading the Mr. Miracle thing and I was just like, I'm not really interested in this. Like, you know, the thing I came for was the John Kent story. Like that was why I wanted to read it. Um and that I actually liked. Uh but it had the same problem that I think that you're bringing up about the like starting the story in the middle of it. And it's like, I've been Superman for 10 years and, you know, and like, this is what people think about me and this is what's going on. And like, you know, previously on, we did this thing and I'm like, did any of this actually happen? No, right? Like, this is just picking up here. So you're just telling me a bunch of backstory from the, you know, recent history of this corner of the universe. Um, and, and I think it does speak to a challenge that is presented and one that you've called out, you know, rightly, Sean, that like in this kind of like post uh, normalized canon world, that is something that we're probably going to have to deal with in the beginning of these stories is like context, you know? Um, and I think Superman did it better than, than Wonder Woman did, you know, cause Wonder Woman, I felt more dropped in Superman. It felt more like, it contextualized things that had already happened through dialogue and stuff where it's like, don't you remember when this happened? And it was like, you know, a few months ago, ostensibly. And it's like, well, yeah, okay. Like that seems like a thing somebody would say and they could right. show me in a back, you know? So like, I think it, it towed that line better. Um, and I felt by the end of that issue caught up on what I needed to know. But I also think I had the benefit of it being based on characters that like, I'm at least more familiar with. I'm not an expert, but I know who, Jonathan is and I know who uh Kara is and she's like a main character in, in this iteration um and then there's like the looming figure of Clark right so like that is enough basis for me to be able to be like you can kind of give me the pieces and I can put it together enough whereas with Yara it's a total blank slate right I don't know right. who the fuck anybody is that supports her I don't even know she has friends right like she seems like she might be a jerk <laughs> so like <laughs> Uh, I think it had that benefit as well, but I also think it was maybe just a little bit better executed. Yeah. To, to your larger question, Sean, I think I've been relatively lukewarm on pretty much all of the books with exception to, I think, Teen Titans and Swamp Thing. Like, Swamp Thing was good. Only, th th those were the only ones that I felt dropped you in and 
in an effective way, but like right. also ran with the story um, that they were trying to tell more mm-hmm. effectively. But otherwise, yeah, the other ones I'm like, meh, you know, whatever. Like, I, I, uh, to your point on the back matter, like I got Justice League because I wanted to get the Justice League dark story at the end. So if anything, it was sort of reverse for me. <laughs> but I mean, even still, the Justice League story was like whatever, as was the dark story. So am I going to pick it up in the future? I don't know. Yeah. And, and again, that's something that DC is going to have to contend with because that appears to be the way forward. Mm. And, uh, you know, again, like, it's not to say that you can't say, all right, here's a new character or here's whatever, and we're just going to drop you in the middle. But I think it's very difficult to do that and have only a, a limited amount of time to tell your story and because if you read the next Batman, like it's so obvious they, they just don't have time. Like they're skipping things. Like, yeah, it's just not. Dark Detective, too. Like that, that was the vibe I got. Yeah. Yeah. And that was the book I was most excited for by far. And like that's that's such a shame because like I, like I said, I didn't realize that. And that makes me feel harsher about Wonder Woman now knowing that like there's only one more because it's like, oh, if we have like if this is just a new run and it's like a rocky first issue like i can forgive that a little bit more it's like give it some room to breathe like let it find its feet but if it doesn't have that opportunity it's just like oh okay we're already almost done yeah that kind of sucks exactly yeah and like i was really excited to see where the swamp thing story is going you know like i i want to see it go more than another issue well yeah and and again you will have that opportunity right in infinite frontier there will still be a swamp thing and all that stuff and i'm pretty confident that they carry over from this but not not with necessarily with these creative teams not necessarily the exact same story it's it's all kind of like you know it's yeah weird right now yeah that sucks because i i would definitely like to see joel jones keep drawing yara at least um but yeah the swamp thing i think was like the best one that I read because it was the most removed from everything else. So it was the easiest to jump in and like just move forward. Right. Cause it's like, Oh, okay. Earth's over and Swamp Thing rules. And it's like, all right, cool. Like that's a, that's a very easy premise to just pick up with. Yeah. Which is, I think that speaks to the strength of the strategy that you are free enough to do those kinds of things. But yeah, uh, at least into the the connectedness for that character in particular, like when those that creative team is actually carrying over, so Rambi and Mike Perkins. That's great. Good. Um, but it's going to be a totally different story. So like whatever this oh. is is even isolated from what's picking up in the new number one because the new number one is going to be a new. Uh, it's not going to be Alec. It's going to be um oh, that a kid. In, it's going to be a kid in India. So like a brand new story out of I don't know to what extent it's coming out of this. It could just be that like this is the two issues, and then that is the next story. So like even Infinite Frontier doesn't always have the the same strong ties, which I think is is a little confusing. Because if we're trying to understand these characters now going into Infinite Frontier, and some of the books aren't immediately connecting, then uh, like like what is the purpose then for for telling that story if it's not an introduction to those characters? She feels messy. Like confused, right? It's like, what's the point then? So, um, here's a here's a quick rundown of what we can expect post future state. And I know that they there have been more announcements since 
this, what I'm about to say, but these are the ones that relate to some of the books that we mentioned here. Uh, so Wonder Woman will uh, go back to the old numbering starting from 770 mm, okay. uh, with Becky Cloonan, Michael Conrad, Ooh. and Trav Moore. Oh. Uh, and will that continue to follow Yara? Uh, no, that will actually follow Diana. <laughs> um, and then Detective Comics will see Mariko Tamaki and Dan Mora um, <laughs> starting with issue 1034. Uh, they're going to be doing regular Batman stories, um, I'm, I believe. Uh, so that'll be out in March. Um, Gene Luen Yang is going to team with Ivan Reese uh, for Batman Superman starting from number 16. Okay. Um, Here that's for that. A, that's a bomb creative team. Rom V and Mike Perkins will keep working together on Swamp Thing. Uh, Ten issue limited series there. Nice. Yo, just saying, um, my prediction of Gene Lun Yang as creator of the year already starting off really strong. Yeah. <laughs> uh yeah, so that's that's some of the 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 post future state stuff that we know about. And you know, there is there like I said, there have been other announcements, but um I don't know, man. I think it's confusing, I think it's weird, and I I just I don't know. We'll we'll check in again with Future State when it ends, and we'll do a a post-mortem and everything like that. By that point, each of us will have had an opportunity to read more of what they've put out as we anticipate Infinite Frontier number one and and basically the relaunch of the DC universe that's not really a universe. It's more like an omniverse, but nothing's connected, but it's all connected. If there's yeah, only two issues it. of every one of these books or whatever, like I'm, I'll commit to reading all of them so we can talk about the whole thing when it's done. Because that I, should be easy enough. <laughs> it's not that many books. <laughs> nah, fam, I'm not dropping eight books on Justice League. You already did. <laughs> you got one not more. Not again. Well, you bought like a hundred issues of fucking onslaught. You can't buy one more issue of Justice League. <laughs> <laughs> so cool. even so, this is actually a question. So even though. You want to read the uh, the 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 Justice League Dark backup. You won't buy Justice League. Uh, well, I'm not buying Justice League Dark because I'm, I'm doing the reverse. Like, like the story wasn't the Justice League Dark story wasn't enough for me to care about like what's going on. Got it. Okay, yeah. So you're you're out. I'm out for that one. Yo, I mean, but they be asking say- you to pay eight bucks for just the backup story. Like that's quite a tall. It's outrageous. Problem. Yeah. In in that in that story though, uh, Detective Chimp actually has Etrigan, so he he goes he goes gone gone former Simeon rise the de- the demon Etrigan. I'm like yeah, that's actually kind of dope. Yo, you tell me you don't want to pay eight bucks for the story? It sounds I wonderful. know. Uh, I think I, uh, <laughs> I think I changed my mind already. Just be thinking about that. <laughs> you want to pay twice as much money for half the pages? Come on, baby. <laughs> So, yeah, that'll do it for now for our Future State conversation. Do write in and let us know what you've read. We've had that conversation ongoing in the Discord all week. A lot of our people have been reading Future State stuff and, you know, enjoying them to, to varying degrees. So if you want to take part in that conversation, you can write into us, thecomicspals at gmail.com, or you can just join our Discord server and uh, have join in on the conversation that's already ongoing, and you can leave us your thoughts and questions that we will read on the air. So let's get into the news and let's let's start 
was something we left off with last week. And and I think this is probably going to be the period point for this storyline uh, because we now know that officially Ray Fisher is gone from Cyborg. Um, the, the It's over. There, there is no more Ray Fisher DC Films relationship at this point. Um, he put out a very long, very eloquently written statement on Twitter uh, in which he says the following. I'm, I'm going to read you know, bits and pieces. I have received official confirmation that Warner Brothers Pictures has decided to remove me from the cast of The Flash. I strongly disagree with their decision, but it is one that is unsurprising. Despite the misconception, Cyborg's involvement in The Flash was much larger than a cameo. And while I do mourn the lost opportunity to bring Victor Stone back to the screen, bringing awareness to the actions of Walter Hamada will prove to be a much more important contribution to our world. On December 30th, 2020, I made it clear that I cannot, with good, with a clear conscience, participate in any production associated with the current president of DC Films, Walter Hamada. The reasoning behind the declaration was twofold. One, Walter's purposeful attempt to undermine the Justice League investigation in order to protect his friend and former co-president, Jeff Johns. Two, Walter's attempt to protect himself by contributing to the public dissemination of lies and misinformation about myself and the Justice League investigation in Warner, Bro Warner Brothers Pictures' September 4th statement to the rap. Now, he says a lot. There's a lot more to it. Uh, he talks about how he tried and tried to get Walter to understand that Jeff Johns was almost as complicit as Joss Whedon was, and that it was almost worse because Jeff Johns bore responsibility to, uh, you know, help the actors just as much as the director or anyone else on set. He is a producer, so he's kind of like that middle person in some ways. Um, and that not only did Jeff not do that, but he actually um, – was involved in whatever the allegations are as far as racism and things like that, um, that Ray is, is, you know, that these allegations are based on. Um, and Walter Hamada, according to Ray Fisher, just kind of no-sold everything he had to say as it relates to Jeff Johns. Ray Fisher alleges that he was actually trying to get information out of Ray, Walter was, in order to help Jeff Johns, in order for Jeff Johns to know what exactly Ray was alleging so that he could better defend himself going forward, which is, um, you know, that's a pretty big condemnation of Hamada's character. And what he's alleging as far as Hamada's interference in the investigation appears to be in an effort to protect Jeff Johns. And I don't know the nature of the relationship between Johns and Hamada, but it's very interesting what Ray Fisher is alleging here. And he does reiterate the idea that Jeff Johns is on the way out and that they probably just are looking for a graceful way to sever that relationship. Let it, you know, and naturally, because at this point, if they were to just outright fire him, that would lend credence to what Ray Fisher is saying here. And so um, he ends with saying um, 
No one in any profession should have to argue with their employer for their claims of abuse, racism, or and discrimination to be taken up to the proper chain of command. And no one in any position of leadership should attempt to dissuade those wishing to report such claims from doing so. I maintain that Walter Hamada is unfit for a position of leadership, and I am willing at any point to submit to a polygraph test to support my claims against him. I don't know how many instances of workplace abuse Walter has attempted to cover in the past, but hopefully the Justice League investigation will be the last. And if the end of my time as Cyborg is the cost for helping to bring awareness and accountability to Walter Hamada's actions, I'll pay it gladly. Now, I have to ask you guys, because we have talked about this now a couple of times prior to today. And one of the things that has come up is that we're not sure where the truth of this matter ultimately really does lie. And my question is a simple one. Do you guys believe what Ray Fisher is saying? My wife's in HR. So like a lot of times I'll, I'll come down on this kind of an issue from that perspective, right? Like if a claim gets made, it has to be respected um, insofar as the investigation deems otherwise. And because we don't know the details of it in particular, because it's been dealt with confidentially, the best that I can say is I have to give both parties the benefit of the doubt. But I think what ends up happening is there are more consistent claims uh, against, let's say, Hamada, Johns, Whedon, than there are of those instances of Ray Fisher lying, being deceitful, or being manipulative. And I have to weigh that. And at that point, it becomes, well, then, uh, if, if those are the conditions, then I need to logically err on the side of what Ray Fisher is saying has some credence and um, that we have to take that for, for a semblance of truth. Um, and, and just to comment on him not being in flash anymore, that to me, and I, I don't know if Sean, if we're going to go deeper into that piece, but that to me feels retaliatory, which I think is also problematic uh, just considering what's been going on around with him as well as uh, Warner Brothers in general, like giving uh, Whedon whatever, like he was also fired or, or like removed from making a certain set of films. Um, so he's getting some backlash seemingly. So uh, let me, let me respond to that. So uh, to, hit your last comment first about Whedon. Uh, so Whedon was working on a project, a television show called The Nevers. After the investigation had completed, Joss Whedon just so happened to put out a statement saying that he was leaving the project because he didn't feel like working on it during the pandemic. I personally believe that was the punishment for whatever the result of the investigation was, but I don't know that to be fact. It also kind, I kind of got the impression that Ray Fisher was kind of making that implication as he well. He also was yeah. making that implication. Yeah. Yes, but it's not confirmed. So I just want to make sure that we're saying that. And then also the, uh, the reason why, according to WB, they're not having the flash in 
Cyborg uh, in the Flash. Cyborg in the Flash, I'm sorry, is because Ray Fisher said that he would not participate in any project in which Walter Hamada is overseeing it. Which is and so they put out a they put out a statement uh in which they said that uh they said other things, but just to get this point out, last summer Mr. Fisher was offered the opportunity to reprise his role as Cyborg in the Flash. Given his statement that he will not participate in any film associated with Walter Hamada, our production is now moving on. Warner Bros. remains in business with Jeff Johns, who continues to produce Stargirl, Batwoman, Doom Patrol, Superman and Lois, and Titans for the Studio, among other projects. So that's their public reason for why he will not be involved in the project. I think it's a little weird that Ray Fisher is saying that he is disappointed in them not including the uh, cyborg in the flash when he said he won't act in the movie. Right. Right. Yeah. So um, I guess just to get out my thoughts and then I guess to clarify some things I said last week with this new context, right? Like any of the, um, the, the like kind of doubt, I guess that I was expressing last week. I remember the biggest thing was kind of not necessarily that I wasn't believing anything Ray Fisher was saying, but just that I was unclear on what the actual accusations were in terms of like how complicit Jeff Johns was or whatever, right? Like, and this very much spells it out, right? And I think this clarified all the questions that I had last week. Um, so in terms of like, do I believe what he's saying? Um, I definitely agree with what Sean's saying. Re uh him playing the role of cyborg i don't see how it's at all surprising that he said i refuse to work on anything that the president of the company is working on then it's like okay well then you're not working with the company right like that's whether or not uh hamada is guilty or of any of that he's saying or whatever right is is almost irrelevant to um the reality of well if you're refusing to work with him then you're not cyborg anymore so right that is what it is right been that part of the conversation as far as my uh interpretation of events or whatever um you know i've said this before in similar kind of like he said she said stories right um where i I generally am am inclined to believe uh the accuser in this kind of situation because and we talked about this a little bit last week right ray fisher has nothing to gain from this story right he has nothing to gain from uh, creating uh, uh, a narrative that can be um, weaponized against him, right? Of that he's difficult to work with or, you know, he refused to work with the president rather than just playing ball or all all of these things that could take an actor of his caliber who's like, a, you know, he's not a nobody, right? He's been in, he's in a blockbuster movie. He played Cyborg, right? But like, he's not a household name either. He's not a movie star. He doesn't have like star power in the way that, you know, I don't know. There's no cachet. Right. That like a Robert Downey Jr. does or somebody like a that, Phil right? Phil Casey or something. Uh, sure. A Phil <laughs> Casey. Um, this, this could be the end of his career, right? Like this, uh, this, this whole event could make it so that he quote unquote never works in this town again. Um, that could legitimately happen to him. Uh, do I think it will? Probably not. But that was a real risk doing this. And the fact that you've had co-stars back him up, and Sean, you made the point last week that there are no none of those people rushing to defend uh, Joss Whedon or 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 Jeff Johns or anything like that. To me, it's like where there's smoke, there's fire on this one, right? Like whether or not like you know like because at this point it sounds like ray fisher is like 
like per like taking this personally, right? Like he's decided that he wants to throw his weight behind this issue and try to right this wrong and make sure it doesn't happen again. This is his hill to die on. Yeah, like why the fuck would he do that for no reason? You know, like so to me, even if you interpret it that way and you're like, maybe he's pissed off and he's got an axe to grind or a grudge or whatever, I feel like it feels earned, right? It feels like he got fucking burned and was treated like shit and tried to go through the proper channels to deal with it, and that a big wig tried to brush it under the rug and cover it up because who's this no-name fucking actor? Who cares? It's way more effort for me to have to stop working with Joss Whedon or mess with my buddy Jeff Johns, right? Like, I I, I, I don't know. Like, I feel like his uh, version of events seems uh, completely likable and plausible, and there's been no evidence to to the contrary, right? To be fair, Warner Brothers hasn't even really, like, denied that like you know like they had this investigation and it was quiet or whatever but it's also like they're like oh well he said he wasn't gonna work with hamada so that's it right like they're not even commenting on any of the things that he's saying right or any of the the like i don't know i don't know I, i i think it's pretty clear that there's a lot of truth to what he's saying if it's not completely true in my mind I think yeah, and I think there's there's always truth on both sides. There's always, you know, uh, because we're all we're all filtering things through our own mind. We're all filtering things through our own lived experience, and so, you know, yeah, there, there's probably truth to go around. But Warner Brothers can't really speak to anything because they're in a position of like they if if Warner Brothers puts out a statement, it reflects on everyone there. You know, and, yeah. and, and it's just it's complicated, whereas Ray Fisher is speaking for himself. And that being said, though, you know, putting aside the what I think is a very weird reaction to them moving on from him with Cyborg because he chose that, uh, putting that aside, I believe Ray Fisher. Mm-hmm. I think that, uh, as I said last week, he has nothing to gain by doing this. And we need more actors in Hollywood that are willing to put their career on the line in order to expose evil behavior, because that is how these things continue to happen. You know, I hate to bring it up, but look at a guy like Harvey Weinstein, who had his run of Hollywood and every woman that he wanted, he tried to get and he harassed and, you know, he made their lives a living hell. Um, because he had the power to do so because it wasn't being spoken about. It was the biggest secret in Hollywood, the the worst kept secret. Um, And that's awful. And what did it take? It took people to say something. And now this guy's in prison. Right. And so that's the power of your voice. And Ray Fisher is using that. And that makes me more inclined to want to see anything he's in because we're, you know, he was fine as cyborg, but I like the guy. Yeah, I like what he's doing. I like what he's standing for. And I respect it a ton. And I hope that there are people that are in Hollywood, producers, his co-stars, Ben Affleck, people who have power, who go and say, well, you know what? He deserves another shot. Um, He deserves a chance because that situation was screwed up. Yeah. And I'm not going to be the person who overlooks him for opportunities because of what went down. That's my hope for the for the human being Ray Fisher and that he can find peace after this because you don't want to be in the limelight for this type of issue. Um no, Warner dude. Brothers 
Warner Brothers looks really bad. They look really villainous. But uh, you know, Matt Murphy said it in our Discord actually, and I think it's it bears uh, repeating on this podcast that you know there's not been like a ton of fan support for Ray Fisher. Like, there's not an overwhelming um, you know amount of people who are speaking out about this in his favor. And I think that there are other situations you can compare this to where people really went to bat, like John Boyega yeah. in Star Wars. People really went to bat, and they're not doing that here. And it feels like it's one verse, it's one guy versus the evil empire, mm-hmm. and that sucks. So, um, you know, like I said, this is probably the last time we're ever going to talk about this, unless something wild happens going forward. Um, but I feel for Ray Fisher. I hope he lands on his feet okay. And I really hope that if Jeff Johns is complicit in in some things like Ray says, I really hope that something happens to him because that's not cool. And it really colors how I see that guy now. That was going to be the thing I wanted to say before we moved on is that, you know, over the last couple of years, like seeing Jeff Johns kind of take more of a leadership role was like something we've applauded, right? Like seeing somebody from the scene, you know, someone who really is a writer, who's, you know, worn a lot of different hats, been an editor, been all these things. Um like to be this person nearing the top steering the ship like that that is a trend i want to see continue and like john seemed to be like the guy to do it you know and like we've praised a lot of his work we've praised a lot of his runs like we've done book clubs of his work all kinds of stuff and like you know we've said a lot of nice things about the guy um but yeah, man, like if, if this is the kind of environment he's creating on set or that he's ignoring on set. But again, Ray Fisher said it was just as much him. Like he, you know, I, he said, uh, I don't want to misquote Ray. He says that um, including blatant racism from John. Right. Uh, that to me is like, like, fuck him. Like he like he needs to be taken to task for that, you know, and like that's not. You know, that's that's not what we need more of in this space. There's more than enough of that shit. Marco, you want to have the last word here, man? Uh, guess we're going to have to cancel Jeff Johns. <laughs> Canceled. <laughs> well, too bad. So sad. <laughs> uh, will I buy three Jokers 2 or whatever the hell is coming up next? Will I buy Geiger? <laughs> oh, uh, Geiger. Yes. <laughs> I, I I will buy Geiger. Speaking of Geiger, uh, we're gonna shift over to Image Comics because there's a pretty big rumor going around right now that Image Comics is getting into the superhero game in a big, big way. So we already talked a few weeks back about Radiant Black, that really cool. Uh, superhero comic coming from Kyle Higgins mm-hmm. um, that he's doing with Marcelo Costa. Um, and that's going to be a superhero comic. And it's kind of cool because he did uh, Power Rangers and you know he's done superhero comics before. So he's got the pedigree for that type of book. What's even bigger than that is, uh, this is coming from Bleeding Cool, that they're hearing that this is going to kick off a superhero universe that is currently being developed by Image that's going to feature uh, Jeff Johns and um, Gary Frank's Geiger, for example, um, that could feature and involve, you know, Invincible in some form or fashion. Um, Crossover by Donny Cates. Yes. Um, 
Noctur- Noctero by uh, Scott Snyder and uh, Tony Daniel. Um, the Department of Truth, they even feature in somehow uh, by J- James Tinian and Martin Simmons. So there's all this kind of superhero-y, kind of like not traditional image stuff being developed right now at the same time. Top tier creators, by the way, who you associate traditionally with big two work all come into image and doing the kinds of things that they might do at the big two were they unrestrained. So first of all, on its face, how do you feel about that idea of image comics developing a, their own superhero universe? And second of all, do you want to see them kind of like integrate these stories with each other and maybe integrate some past things like obviously Invincible's done, but would you want to see them figure out a weird ass way to get uh, Invincible into the mix or even um, Spawn, Witchblade, Spawn, or Darkness. like various characters that they have? Do you is that something that you would like to see? So uh, this is interesting because we we actually kind of touched on this when Crossover was first announced. Was like, is yep. this what Crossover is? And uh, if you're a regular listener, if you remember that episode, which I'm sure Marco is going to tell us the number of right now, um, I, I brought up there that this this is not the first time Image has done this. Uh, if if uh, if you'll recall, uh, in 2002 or 2003, whenever it was, uh, they had decided they were going to kind of launch a a loose connected Image superhero universe, basically. Where the basically the the kind of um, the thought process behind it was that every one of the books that made up this kind of superhero universe line or whatever uh, that they would they would cross over, but that each each one was kind of its own iteration of a multiverse. So that's like if you've never read Invincible, for example. Uh, in Invincible, characters like Spawn and Savage Dragon is one that we forgot. Uh, Witchblade, you know, some of those other well-known image superhero style characters, they show up, they make appearances from time to time. Um, but it, it never interferes with what's going on in their books. Right. So, and I'm pretty sure Mark has, Mark Invincible has showed up in some of those other series at limited capacities as well. Um, where it's like, I'm pretty sure Spawn is in Invincible twice, and I don't think he has, like, dialogue, though. It's just, like, a thing's happening, and we're summoning the world's heroes, and it's like, and Spawn was there, right? Um, That's sick. So there's, like, cool things like that, where, but Savage Dragon is, like, a little bit more involved. Like, there's, like, a funeral that he shows up to, and he, like, talks to Mark or whatever. So, like, th- there's that kind of loose connectivity, and I think that makes more sense. I think if that's kind of, they want to maybe go back to that idea. I could see that paying off really well. Um, the idea of them like hard committing to like, a, we're going to have a universe within the image line that is made up of these books or whatever. Um, I, I don't necessarily find that less appealing. I think it's just, it's a, it's a tougher ask, uh, but it's, you know, if that's the direction that they're going to go, you know, there's a lot you can do there and they have like a really good um, well of characters. Like you said, like from the past, some that have been reimagined multiple times. Um, but you've also got like Jupiter, the Jupiter's stuff. Yes. Um, you know, like you you have all these other things you could tap in. I kick ass is over there now. Like uh, there are so many ways you could play with that that um, the possibilities are definitely cool and intriguing. Um, but I think one of the big things that's most appealing about Image is that 
things are kind of siloed. And that's why I think the kind of loose connective tissue works a little bit better because then everybody can use each other's characters and in ways that are appropriate for the story uh, without messing up anybody else's canon, right? Like, Invincible's done and over. I don't want to see them uh, continue or, like, have new stories or anything like that. But if they were, like, just, oh, here's one of the thousands of infinite versions of Mark and he happens to show up in this story for an arc or something like that, I would be really stoked about that. Uh, I, I'm, I'm glad that, like, they mentioned crossover because that was going to be my first thought like if they are going to build a universe they're definitely starting it in that book uh, i've been reading that by donny cates um and then we had initially talked about it in like the tease of it in episode 194 do comics have to reflect the real world which is a good episode in oh, the, great episode. Of itself and then um we talked more about it in 196 when they had like the full announcement um and yeah i mean in there inter- interestingly enough they actually or Kate's uses his own superhero character team from Dark Horse. Mm-hmm. Like somehow he's able to integrate that into image in his his own image book. So uh would I find this interesting? Yeah, like absolutely. I think I think it's um something that because superheroes are such a huge genre in comics and are so well known for that, I think that that is probably like a smart play on their end. Versus having it segmented, like the the big thing is obviously having your own universe. Um, Valiant has that, uh, I guess, boom with their Power Ranger stuff. So it it makes it advantageous from a a sales standpoint. Mm-hmm. And then, am I personally interested? Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll I'll read it. I mean, it, especially considering the the liberty at which you get to tell stories. Um, I don't know to what extent it'll be or how heavily it'll be edited considering it is going to be a universe, which needs to have some cohesion. Um, so I don't expect it to be everything and anything they want, but uh, I'm, I'm definitely interested enough in, in wanting to pick up something that would come out of an image superhero line. Cause uh, they, they focus on doing whatever you want. And if that's the focus, I'm, I'm down for that. Best superhero comic I ever read is Invincible, so just saying. Yeah, dude. Yeah. <laughs> um, I did want to just make one point based on the the monetary thing that Marco made comment he made. I was um, reading a, an older Bleeding Cool article, like when they were first talking about the teasing of the superhero universe, and there was a, a poll uh, from it. Um, it's Rich Johnson, of course, that I thought was interesting. Uh, he said, any serious attempt at rebuilding... He's talking about uh, Savage Dragon, right? And this is the context of how Savage Dragon is like the longest running image book. It's the only one with the same creative team. And it's a book that has really had peaks and valleys in its sale and in its success. And that like these superhero kind of crossover things um, impact its sales. And those are where you see spikes at times, right? So it says... Um, any serious attempt at rebuilding the superhero, the line of superhero books at Image would definitely include Larson's Dragon. The back issues landscape for the fa- uh, Image Founder series is full of peaks and valleys, but those peaks often feature other Image superheroes. Most notably, the first appearances uh, in Robert Kirkman and Cory Walker's Invincible in Savage Dragon number 102 and 107 fetch a decent dollar figure these days, as do appearances of Spawn and Mike Aldred's Madman. And those comics also had significantly more than the issues published in the years since Image's last real superhero push. Some issues are clearly more scarce than others, so an image superhero renaissance could easily spark a back issue sales bonanza. 
So that's interesting to think about too. Um, and that speaks to what I was talking about, right? There were two appearances of Invincible in Savage Dragon. Something that Matt Murphy brought up in the Discord as well was the fact that Savage Dragon, for example, goes through eras where he, uh, Larson will take influences from certain genres, um, manga, superhero comics. Uh, he said that most recently they're, they're doing like more European style comics and that's like the influence now. I mean, if, if that is true and consistent, I, I, you can also easily, I can see that easily being integrated into a large universe because that'll be the era that he's focusing on, right? Like the superhero universe and how does Savage Dragon play into that to some extent. Mm -hmm. So um, obviously I'm, you know, one of the biggest proponents of superhero comics here and I love it uh, from Marvel and DC. Um, so what I'm about to say may be surprising. I am very interested in this from the creators that they're talking about mm -hmm. for sure. And I'm interested in seeing some crossover and collaboration with the creators that they're talking about. What I am not interested in is a Marvel or DC type situation where Scott Snyder says, okay, it's time to hang it up on Noctera. Here comes random guy. Yes. Uh, I'm not interested in the end at the end of, you know, Geiger, Jeff Johns is done with Geiger. Now here comes another random guy, another random creative team. <laughs> I don't I don't know that that would happen, though. Well, if they're saying it's going to be a superhero universe, I'm making the assumption that they're not just going to say, okay, Snyder is done with Noctera, so now Noctera's out of the universe and we don't see her anymore. I wonder if they, like, write characters out. You know, like, if that happens, like, stuff like that. Maybe like, they do. That, I don't know. That's, like... So far down the road, right? Yeah, yeah. But true. what I'm not, I'm what I'm not interested in is the idea of these things going on beyond the creators that created them. I if it's a Savage Dragon type situation where, for some reason, all of them are like, "Let's just do this forever," awesome. I'll read yeah. it. But the second that someone says, "I'm done," I'm also done because it works with Marvel. It works with DC. It's built to be interconnected. It's built so that new creators can come on board and do different things, and you can have these big crossovers. Image isn't image doesn't work that way. Image editors are not hawks. They don't sit over you and manage whatever you do. Image editors do not come up with the story and then hire creators to write it. Creators pitch ideas. Image editors make them work for image, and then they put it out. What will start to happen? inevitably is image create image editors will need to be overseeing more to make sure that things are more cohesive. They'll start to have their own ideas for events and things like that. And all of a sudden you have the same kinds of problems that Marvel and DC have that image has been free from forever. And I don't think it would behoove them to go down that road. If it gets past the point of the initial creators. And to speak to that, right? They've done this multiple times and it never sticks. So <laughs> Right. It's not it's not to say that there's not a historical precedent for what you're saying either, right? Um they tried this in two thousand two or two thousand three. But I mean, I guess my argument against that, I guess that fear, and not even to say that what you're saying is necessarily not uh true, but we got invincible out of that. So if we get one or two series that are that good, that'll be worth it. <laughs> or I think the other thing was like, if, if that is the concern, I think it'll only be contained within that universe. 
Like, I don't think we have to worry about it spilling out to other books within oh, yeah, the image line. And, and if it's, I, like, I, I, I'd been thinking of something similarly. Like, if, if they decide to, like, start, the editors start to, like, really put their hand over things, does that necessarily spill out into the the other books, uh, especially for like an event, right? Like if if um like I'm reminded of the X Men stuff for the Empire crossover or yeah. the tie in, right? That was so far removed, but still kind of worked for it. That I wondered to what extent editors had a role in that story, as much as Hickman was trying to tell his own story, and maybe in in and obviously we don't know, but like only in the in the moments where they are events they the creators are able to tell whatever story they want to that ties into the event or maybe not or there, there's so many variations say, yeah yeah that i that i wouldn't be worried of that personally so i'm not talking about that i'm not talking about tie-ins i'm talking about because like whether whether you guys know this or not a lot of marvel events are not the creator's idea. A lot of Marvel events, DC events as well, are they come? They're they're, they're they come from the top down. They're cooked up from the editors or those big retreats that they have. And a lot of times, the writer who ends up writing the event is not the same person who came up with the idea. Civil War is a great example. Not Mark Millar's idea. Uh, so what I'm saying is, in situations like that, where hey. Let's get an event out. It's it's been a year. This is my big idea. I'm the editor. Uh, Donny Cates, go write this. You know, that's what I'm saying. I'm not. I don't want to see. Right. Image has a reputation for editors being hands off. I would like to see that remain. And yeah, I'm sure it wouldn't affect like Saga. I'm sure all those books would be fine. But in this superhero universe specifically. I, if I'm into it if it's just image with a superhero universe and it's image. Yeah, I'm with you there. I, That's all I'm saying. My hope is that it is that way and I hope that they just like honestly like learn from, you know, I mean, arguably, right, there are people I'll say this and they'll say Spawn or Savage Dragon or whatever, but I think like Invincible is their best superhero series and like I say that without my my context of me being, it's it being my favorite book. Um and I think that the the best thing about that book is that Robert Kirkman and and Ryan Otley like made that decision, right? Like if you were a fan of the book, like in the back matter, Kirkman always talked about how he, the intention of the book was to pass it off to somebody that and that like he wanted there to be a day where him and Ryan were like bitter old men talking about how like the new kids ruined it, you know, oh, um, and that nice. was what he wanted for it. But then in the last issue, or maybe it's the one where before that, where they announced like, this is it. Ro- uh, Robert was like, well, we, we decided that if we did that, it would just be like every other book. It would be like every other superhero book. And what made Invincible special is that it's not like every other superhero book. Right. So I think as long as they take that ethos and apply it to these series, we could get something really special. Bro, I would love to see a Jeff Johns story, right? Like where he's writing. He's a canceled. Ah, canceled, shit. Dude. You're right. All right. Wait, 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 wait. I would can't. I would love to see a story where Hickman comes in and another <laughs> superhero like story using. He's like, oh, you know what? I want to use uh, Savage Dragon. I want to use Spawn. I want to use 
invincible right but you have to work within the the bounds of like those creators but he wants to tell that story and then he gets to work with the editors to make it all happen like that i hope is the bottom up the down top whatever function that i would like to see this universe sort of take hold yeah 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 that would be bottom up it would be that like the the creators being are like driving i want yeah. i want to tell these stories with these characters how do we make it all happen? Yeah, and then the editors are just there to like get approval, right? Where it's yeah, like yeah. they go to Robert Kirkman and be like, "Are you cool if we use Mark in this way?" And he's like, "That sounds dope. Great. Go ahead." Yeah. Well, hey, this could all not happen. I think once Radiant Black hits, um, we'll have a better idea because that does seem to be where everything is spawning from. No pun intended. But <laughs> when is it um, again? Uh, when is Radiant Black? I'm uh, looking. I'm looking. Uh, March. Yeah, I was uh, that that was those that was what was going to come out of my mouth, but uh, I'm not uh, not entirely positive. They have a trailer out too, which looks pretty cool. Yeah, they've it's it's been a big push uh, for for Radiant Black. So, yeah. in any event, uh, Radiant dope. Black coming soon, and all this other stuff remains to be seen. But uh, <laughs> even if there is no shared universe, we're getting a lot of comics from Image by top tier creators that all look really good. So check them out. I like how they save on the image.com. It says for fans of Invincible. And it's like, all right, I'll be the judge of that motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> and, and Radiant Black's actually coming out February 10th. So oh, oh so sick. Away. Cool. Nice. Nice. Uh, I will definitely be there for that. I'm now, down to review it if you are. I'm down to review just about anything. I'm in, baby. Let's go. So let's shift gears to the MCU because we got – Huge, huge, huge news. A double dose of massive news from the MCU. One is confirmed. One is a rumor. All right? So we're going to start with what's confirmed. Deadpool 3 is a thing. It's happening. And not only is it a thing and happening, but Kevin Feige has confirmed two facts. One, that it is in the MCU proper. <gasps> oh. And two... That it is rated R. <gasps> they can say fuck. <gasps> Marco, you can't say that. <laughs> oh, no. So this is coming from Kevin Feige's interview with Collider. He said, very simply, it will be rated R, and we are working on a script right now, and Ryan's overseeing a script right now. Now, I have to say, first of all, this is so exciting. This is this is probably the most exciting thing that they could say right now other than what the plans are for the X-Men. Not because I care about Deadpool. I don't. Oh, but <laughs> what it does is it sets a precedent and it opens a door for things that we didn't think Disney would allow. We didn't think we could see R-rated MCU movies, but now we know that we can because of Deadpool. So, you know, is it a Deadpool-only thing? because of how successful and popular those that franchise is? Or is this them saying, hey, maybe Blade, right? Maybe yep. uh, maybe Daredevil, maybe Punisher. You know, maybe we'll get, maybe we'll mix it up a little bit with our shows. Let's fucking go. Those questions are now realistic questions. And that's what makes this so cool. And it probably speaks to that rumor we've heard about them adding an R-rated section in Disney Plus, you know? Yes, like, yep. yep. I, th I, think, I think it's clear that that's the plan. Um, 
So the first thing I want to say about this story is that I am so glad we get to discuss it on a week where Kale and Phil aren't here to shit on our fucking parade. Let's talk about (laughs) the actual story here, right? Like, I don't care if you're not a Deadpool fan. This is interesting. Um, This is huge, right? Like, this is the first R-rated MCU movie. They're integrating uh, a outside of the MCU franchise into the MCU. That's new and unprecedented. Also a thing we've talked about a lot in regard to the Sony thing. So that kind of adds wrinkles to that conversation too that it's like i wasn't even gonna go there but yeah the floodgates are blown open now right it's like fucking a anything you can slot anybody in that's another really key fucking wrinkle to this and then lastly i think again whatever your feelings of deadpool whatever your feelings of the deadpool movies that have come before i'm genuinely excited for this movie like i used to be a deadpool fan when i was a teenager and I, i was really into him i've cooled on him quite a bit since i like the other deadpool movies fine but um, the uh, the Molyneux sisters, uh, Lizzie and Wendy, who are best known for working on Bob's Burgers, are, like, working on this, too. And, like, I don't know, dude. Like, I feel like there's a lot of potential for this to be, like, something really cool and dynamic that shows us that the MCU has, like, life left in it. That it can do different things and be different things and still feel like the MCU. Um. And I think this could be a really important piece to that puzzle. When when you said like the rated R piece, uh, one of the other gears that turned in my head was like, well, then that means we can get a continuation to even like something like Logan, right? Where X twenty X twenty three can be like the star now because we can. That's integrated enough into, um, especially with uh, Deadpool, considering he's like a mutant, right? Like whatever way you can play with that. Um, he's not technically that- a mutant. You know, I'm just um, one. And but um, but there you're right. There are so many other like things to consider in here. Um, and yeah, I mean, I I like Deadpool enough. I, I like the movies. This knowing that this is going to be a Disney backed rated R Deadpool movie gives me hope, and and that is awesome. Yo, written that, by two like really successful comedy writers and overseen yeah. by ryan reynolds who basically willed this fucking series into existence with his blood sweat and dreams <laughs> and not to mention it it deserves to be said overseen by kevin feige yeah that's huge that is huge so and also like here first season four daredevil let's go <laughs> well and it's like now they can like like fucking pull in so many things too like, there's so many characters that, like, he can interact with and, like, just stuff that was not on the table before because it was just the X stuff, you know? And, like, what else is cool to think about is they could start introducing mutants. Exactly. Like, yeah. they can start introducing us to X-Men in a quiet way. And, like, when the X movie eventually comes, right, we'll already have X-Men in the MCU. And that's another wrinkle of this that I feel like nobody's talking about that's really exciting, even if you don't fuck with Deadpool. Like, that's the part that I'm least excited about actually what? you don't want to see yep. that no uh i think that that so i think marvel has to be careful because there is the potential for confusion and i also think there's the potential to blow your load mm. so you know we've seen them like they introduced for example black panther and civil war not black panther the movie but um it felt like 
okay, this is his origin story. This is why he, yeah. you know, has a vendetta. His dad died, blah, blah, blah. We got all of that. They did the same thing with Spider-Man and it worked. Um, the difference is that they didn't try to establish the world of Wakanda or all these different characters that are important to Wakanda yeah. in Civil War. Um, they gave us the one guy and we knew some aspects of, of 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 who he is, but then in his own movie, we got you know Wakanda. You don't think now, we could do that though? So the thing is that Wakanda had to be explained. Mm. It had to be explained how no one knew how technologically advanced they were, and they did an excellent job in story of doing that. How are you going to explain how Deadpool is around? And because he's this is Deadpool three, not one, those other movies happened. And that means that those characters happened. But where have they been? And why are they not involved in any of the bad stuff that happens? Why are the X-Men not around? And on and on and on. My guess is that. You know, and this is now we're getting into me prognosticating, right? This is my fan theory. I feel like you just uh, acknowledge the fourth wall in in a way, and you just have like so. Say this movie comes after Doctor Strange, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, the opening will. scene of Deadpool three is Deadpool getting flung through the multiverse, and he lands in the MCU, and none of his crew from the old movies is around anymore. And you're gonna reestablish like a new status quo, and it's like new versions of characters and and everything, and you just kind of. Like, yeah, it is that Deadpool and those things happen. He might remember them, but they're not relevant to the canon anymore. And you can kind of make a joke about it and kind of pivot. Yeah, um, you have the then, advantage of being cheeky about it. I think they're probably going to do something like that to, like, clean the slate in a way. Or maybe you bring over some of those characters. Like, maybe Cable comes with him, right? Like, I don't know. but I think it's perfectly acceptable. Everything you just said, the only thing that I am not interested in is again just don't have mutants don't let let deadpool be in it let him meet spider-man or whatever that'd be weird it could be funny there's a lot of things you could do the mcu is chock full of characters that they could throw in the movie but the second that there's another mutant or mutant related character i think you open a can of worms that they're not going to be ready to explain so they shouldn't explain it just leave it alone don't have colossus don't have any of them just give him some some new people to deal with. Bring his girl. I don't care. Just don't have mutants. Fair enough. I think uh, I think either way, I trust Kevin Feige to do it right. Yeah. So, um, I think this is really fucking cool news. Even as somebody who's like lukewarm on Deadpool at this point. Um, yeah. This is a hype hype news story for sure. And so we don't know when when the movie's gonna come. Uh, there's no release date or anything like that. And they're still writing ask, it. So right, exactly. <laughs> if you if you're asking me, I wouldn't expect to see the movie released before 2024. I, I was like gonna say six. I, I think it's probably a ways off, uh, given the context that the the Molyneux sisters are writing it because. They are full-time writers on Bob's Burgers. They just launched a new show on Fox, and they're writing this script. So, like, 
I wouldn't be surprised if it takes a bit to even get it finished, let alone before they start shooting it. Yeah. Yep. So it'll be a while, but uh, all you Deadpool fans can rejoice. Now, this part, this next story is the rumor. Allegedly, Chris Evans is speaking with Marvel, finalizing a deal to return as Captain America. This is something that I have seen reported far and wide. I don't know who the initial report, where the initial report came from, but I've seen it everywhere. Obviously, his character was kind of written off at the end of Avengers Endgame, and it didn't appear as though he was going to come back. He said he was done, and um, now uh, maybe not. We're about to get Falcon and Winter Soldier. Falcon and Winter Soldier hasn't dropped a single episode, and we are now talking about the return of Chris Evans as Captain America. I know he said on Twitter he doesn't know what people are talking about. If you believe him, I've got a bridge to sell you. It's really nice, okay? These actors always do that. The producers always do that. We've seen it time and time again. Do not believe him. Chris Evans is coming back as Captain America. What? That's how good an actor you think he is, that he's taking the character into real life? <laughs> I um, um, Yeah, I believe it. So I mean, yeah, he, he is America's ass. He is America's this, ass. That's true. So like this doesn't interest me. I like I one of my favorite parts about the end uh for Endgame for Infinity War was the fact that we lost Tony and um Steve and Cap. Like that was the period on this whole this whole arc for mm-hmm. the Avengers for and the MCU that gave finality and i needed i needed that to to know that uh, the marvel that the mcu was serious about the direction it was going and the way that it wanted to continue to grow but if if we're not if to your point we're not even an episode in on winter soldier and falcon like then what is what was it all? What was it all worth in in the end, right? Because I you got that emotion out of me, but now you're just subverting that, and and that to me feels, uh, oh damn, we haven't said this in a while. That's some disingenuous bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> um, I like the throwback. So my thing with this is I don't. I feel like this could be much to do about nothing. Um, I think that Sean is probably right that there's, you know, there's fire with this smoke and that like there, there is a chance for that to be the case. But one of the things uh, that they say in the comicbook.com article is that um, the trade suggests Evans is still in talks about the comeback and would bring him back for at least one more project with room for more. The report also suggests Evans would simply appear in a supporting capacity as Steve Rogers, so fans shouldn't expect him to head up a third solo film, right? So I read that. I think that there's several ways that that could take shape where it doesn't take the impact out of uh, Cap's death. 
and or not death, I guess, but mo- moonlighting, right? Is um right? He's not dead. Uh, he's an old man, so easily, right? Uh, Falcon could go talk to him, and it could be him and the old man make up, and he's just like, "I'm fucking struggling, man. Like I'm trying to carry the shield, and I can't live up to your legacy." And he just like. You know, it's like a cameo. Like, we had Peggy had a cameo as an old lady, right? And it could be that. Or it could be, you know, uh, oh, he recorded a bunch of tapes that he left behind for, for, for Bucky and, and, and Sam, right? And it's like, yeah, I know, you know, you guys are, you guys gotta carry the mantle now and like, here's some advice I have for you. And like, I believe in you. It could be something that fucking small, like in the way that like, there's a Tony Stark cameo in Spider-Man. That's like two seconds, you know, it's just a picture of him, you know, it, it could be something that simple. And if that's all it is, then I don't really care. That's fine. That yeah. doesn't bother me. It's only if he suits up again and he is actively captain America where I feel like it, it takes away and it feels cheap, you know? Um, so I'm willing to reserve judgment until, we have more of an idea of what the nature of of the quote unquote cameo is, um, but I definitely share your sentiment in terms of like if it goes that way, I think that would feel it would feel like it undercuts it in a way that uh, I would be disappointed by. Bro, he better be in a deathbed. Like that's the cap I want to see next. Okay, He's dying. <laughs> no offense to Chris um, Evans. No, love Chris Evans. It's America's ass. I, I, I have a few comments um, that I want to, you know, hit on. So first of all, I, I mean, listen, all of us read comics. This is not irregular. This is what comics do. And they did this. I mean, they've done this exact same thing with Captain America at least two times in the last 15 years. Uh, Black Widow, actually, like, now that I think about it, like, that's the perfect example of it, right? Sure, yeah. And so I don't look at this and see it undercutting anything because we got they got the emotional payoff. They earned it. They gave it to us. Boom, this is now something different. It, it, for me, at least, I'm not going to then go watch Avengers Endgame and say, well, wow, this this moment has no weight because – caps back because that had weight when it had weight i saw it it had weight and it mattered um that being said you know the mcu is either going to be like a like comics or it's not if it is then yeah characters are going to come back and eventually other people will play these characters i don't believe that steve rogers will never be captain america again in the movies i don't believe we'll never see iron man again i really don't I th- and I, and I, quite frankly, I don't think I would like it if that were to be the case, because as much as I want to see new characters get the spotlight, I also want to see the characters that I want to see. And I don't need Tony to come back even within the next two to three phases. But at some point, we have to get him back. Right. Like. And so this is fine. Uh, the 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 article says it would be uh, an appearance similar to Robert Downey Jr. In, in Captain America Civil War. That was not a cameo. He was like the A1 character in the movie, right? Um, so if Cap is going to appear in that kind of capacity, it I mean, come on, that was a massive role. I could see them having him become the director of S.H.I.E.L.D., like what happens in the books when he is an old man. Um, they could be following that track. 
or he could just become re- repowered. That would be really interesting, actually. Yeah, I don't remember exactly if they explain why he's old in Endgame, but he has the super soldier serum in him, presumably. So I'm not clear on why he would be so old. Um, unless in the movies they're saying that the serum doesn't do that, doesn't slow your aging. I guess. But um, yeah, I'm not clear on why he's so old. So there's a lot of room to, to tell story with that character still, and I don't think there's a single solitary reason why he can't be in the MCU anymore other than the fact that he said he was done. The movie doesn't say we'll never see Cap again or Steve Rogers again at all. It's true. Yeah. And I think that that kind of comes down to like where where we differ on the superhero end, right? Like where the the issue for me is the lack of finale for certain characters, whereas that's like the the prize for on your end, maybe. Well, I think you're right when it comes like if this article was about Robert Downey Jr., I'd be saying what you're saying. Just because he did die, and that was the sacrifice for that yeah. particular like battle that had to happen in order for everything to come together. Like I said, if they bring him back in 10 years, yeah, let's do it, you know? But Cap Tony or Steve didn't die. Steve didn't say, okay, guys, you're never going to see me again. Nothing happened other than he's just old now. And he's, he's not going to be Cap. Yeah. Right. But there's a lot of ways you can go with that story that don't involve him suiting up. So I'm in for anything. And um, yeah, I don't I don't I don't think this is bad. I think this is cool. That's fair. All comes um, out of the execution. Exactly with with anything and, and again, you know, I say it every time, the MCU, they're not batting one hundred, but they're batting pretty close. Yeah, right. So like why not trust them? Exactly. It won't be without purpose. This last item that we're going to cover before we get into our Marauders review this week is about the Punisher. It's about the Punisher and the calls for Marvel to cancel the character because his logo and likeness was used during the riot on the Capitol in D.C. Now, we have talked about the Punisher on this podcast quite a bit. We actually did an episode about the Punisher in light of the violence that we were seeing. I believe it was one of the shootings that took place. They they actually delayed the Punisher television yeah, show. I can't remember um, what one it was, though. Yeah, unfortunately, we've had enough that we, they all kind of blend in. Um, I was going to say the Aurora shooting, but I was like, wait, that happened in 2012. Um, in any event, it was after one of the shootings. They delayed the show. And we discussed how, you know, should the Punisher um, exist? You know, is he setting a bad example? We talked about the Punisher again during a conversation about police using the Punisher logo and likeness on their guns and things like that. And Jerry Conway's uh, efforts to reclaim it. Right. And so we've talked about this character. We're going to do it again because, you know, look, a lot of people who have bad intentions for the world around them use characters like the Punisher as their, I don't know, their idol, whatever. Captain America's iconography was also actually used during the Capitol riot. 
right. um, and an and insurrection. And so I'm going to actually say what I have to say and say nothing else up front because I don't think we need to belabor the point. Yeah, and sorry, just uh, for anybody sure. who wants to go back to listen to some of the stuff, um, the, is Punish, the Punisher bad for our culture? That was episode 63. Cool, thank Crap, you. Crap, that was wow. a long time Jeez. ago. <laughs> um, <laughs> we can't sanitize the world against bad actors. It's impossible. If a person is using the Punisher logo and likeness to go ahead and, you know, wear it on their on their shirt or on their gun when they're murdering people or parading around or whatever it is that they're doing that that doesn't mean that the person was inspired by the punisher the person is choosing to do that and they associate themselves with the punisher for whatever reason they're missing the message of the character and that is not a condemnation of the character that's a condemnation of that person so for everyone who reads The Punisher and enjoys The Punisher that gets what it's about and doesn't go ahead and go kill people or do wrong things, that person shouldn't be punished, no pun intended, by there being no more Punisher or by Marvel changing the logo to something that is not as iconic because The Punisher logo is iconic um, for, for not all bad reasons. You know, um, Those things shouldn't cease to exist because there are bad people in the world. There are people who watch Star Wars, associate themselves with the Rebel Alliance, but are also bad people in real life. Right. Because they're missing the message. They don't realize that they're the enemy, that the rebellion is against them. Cops don't realize that they're the kind of people that the Punisher punishes for bad behavior. Not all cops. I'm talking about people who do bad things. Uh, Captain America would oppose you. Captain America opposes what happened on the Capitol. Just because those people don't get that doesn't make it not the truth. And our world has to be based on truth and not sanitizing and removing things because of what bad people do. We could easily not have video games right now if certain politicians and people with agendas had their way in the 90s. Because of Mortal Kombat. And again, in the 2000s, because of Grand Theft Auto. Because of allegations of what people were inspired by. Wrestling. Okay? Kids who said they did wrestling moves because they watched wrestling and people got hurt. Um, heavy metal. You know, hip-hop, dude. Like Heavy metal. Hip-hop. Marilyn Manson. Eminem. There are countless examples. Book burnings. Blah, blah, blah. Hell, blah, Elvis. Blah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Pick. Pick. Pick the situation. It happens again and again in history. We can't censor or eliminate things because of what bad people choose to do with them. That's not the way that the world should work. So the the only, I think, significant uh, like wrinkle I think I have to tag on to that, because I, I agree with what you're saying. Um, the Punisher doesn't represent those things because people have chosen to misappropriate the logo, right? Um, the the criticism that I do think is legitimate um, is the backlash against Marvel and I, and I guess Disney at large um, for not being aggressive in trying to dissuade or distance themselves from that usage of the, the symbol. Uh, 
And I think if they were equal opportunity offenders in this regard, it would be a little bit easier to give them a pass, but they're not, right? Um, we all remember the story about the uh, the young boy who died of a terminal illness and wanted to have the Spider-Man logo on his grave, and Marvel said no um, because it could dilute their IP. Um, this is a sure dilution of their IP uh, and of the symbol and what it means, and they do nothing. And I think that's really um, damning when those are the those are those are two very extreme examples right and i think to me if i'm in charge of public relations for a company i think it's very easy to see which is the example i would say is fine and which is the example i would be actively trying to distance myself from in public discourse and it was not that it's not the course of action that they took so um and there's countless examples right of them suing uh, elementary schools for illegal uh, paintings of Snow White and shit like that on the wall. Like they, they are not not litigious. Um, and granted, th- that's not going to stop some jackass on Capitol Hill who's running around with a Captain America shield he bought at Spirit Halloween, right? Um, but that's not really what we're talking about, you know. So there's an entire subsection of merchandise being sold online of the Punisher logo mixed with the Blue Lives Matter flag, right? Disney or Marvel could easily attack that, could easily make an example of people selling, profiting off of that imagery, and they choose not to. And that is absolutely, absolutely where the focus of the conversation should be. Not on let's cancel the Punisher, not on let's change the logo, not on is the Punisher problematic. The fucking people misappropriating the image are the problem. And it's the IP holder who is aggressive in seemingly every other fucking example I can think of doing fuck all about it. And they are totally deserving of that critique because it's bullshit. Because they don't want to anger that, that, that group of people because they are confident that they sell products to them. Absolutely right. Yep. You're absolutely correct. Uh, I have nothing to add. Cool. So then uh, we will close the conversation with a quote from one Garth Ennis, who is a legendary writer for a variety of reasons, but particularly his contributions to the Punisher character. He had a few scathing things to say about, um, you know, these incidents and the usage of the Punisher logo. Uh, So he said, I've said this before a couple of times, but no one actually wants to be the Punisher. Nobody wants to pull three tours of duty in a combat zone with the last one going catastrophically wrong, come home with a head full of broken glass, see their families machine gunned into bloody awful in front of their eyes, and then dedicate the rest of their lives to cold, bleak, heartless slaughter. The people wearing the logo in this context are kidding themselves, just like the police officers who wore it over the summer. What they actually want is to wear an apparently scary symbol on a t-shirt, throw their weight around a bit, then go home to the wife and kids and resume their everyday life. They've thought no harder about the Punisher symbol than the half-wits I saw on Wednesday, the ones waving the stars and stripes while invading the Capitol building. He's absolutely correct. That's exactly what we just laid out. And I think ultimately Pete's right. Marvel, Disney should condemn this action. But 
putting that aside because we can't control that. What we can control is the narrative that we build mm-hmm. around this story and stories like this. And as a as a society, we have to choose. We have to choose to stop trying to eliminate anything that makes us uncomfortable, anything that someone uses for evil um, or anything that gets propped up by bad actors, because then we're only letting them win at the end of the day. Who are you hurting by taking away? You think you think those people are losing by you taking away the Punisher symbol? They'll keep using it. It's not going to matter. The symbol exists in the world. It just would mean that Marvel changed the logo. That's not doing anything. Eliminating the Punisher character from Marvel's canon and, and deleting him essentially doesn't mean that people won't continue to use it. So why not instead say, hey, no, the Punisher is actually not about that. And here are examples. You know, there are so many better ways to go about this than to just try to cancel the Punisher. It's ineffective, and we can do better. Uh, And I will say, another place where we kind of had part of this conversation was in our season one review of the Punisher, which I remember was a really good conversation, if you want to go check that out as well. Um, If you want to, like, see how the Punisher can be be used to condemn the very types of things that these people um, are, are propagating. So, yep. All right, that leaves us with our review of Marauders for this week's main topic. We are going to be diving into the latest issue, number 17, as we evaluate whether or not Marvel's going to actually drive the ship forward or we're just going to be in limbo post Ten of Swords. So here's the thing. We got Marauders, number 17. We're talking about Jerry Duggan. We're talking Matteo Lali. Uh... Edgar Delgado on colors, uh, Corey Pettit on letters, and Tom Muller on designs, as always, for Marvel's X-Men books. Marauders, I'm just going to be straight out, doesn't feel like it's going anywhere. Yeah, so uh, last week, uh, I believe it was during the Palace Pulls segment, Sean and I talked a little bit about Marauders, and kind of jokingly, um, we were kind of like, yeah, like, you know, the last issue was kind of felt like it was what we wanted and it was it was moving things forward again, but it was also like tying up loose ends. And we're like, we're really eager to see the story move forward. And I think this issue is really going to be an important one for how I feel about the book right now. If it moves forward, great. I'm eager for that. If it feels like we're just tying up loose ends again, I'm going to start to feel a little frustrated. And then you made a joke uh, I believe it was then anyway, about somebody getting invited to another dinner. And it turns out that this issue was, in fact, again, tying up loose ends and inviting people to a dinner. So Yes. And yes. It, I'm at the point where it's like this very much just feels like more of the same now. And it's like, it's cool, right? It's not like I have a problem with anything that happened in this issue. I get Kitty wanting to go and, like, help the people that helped Lockheed and, you know, like, that. that's fine and, you know... Like there, it's not like nothing's happening, right? There's literally things you can point to that are are moving us forward and developing the narrative. But it's like we're moving at a fucking snail space here, and you're also kind of diverting to tell other side characters' stories, and it ends up ends up with a, an issue that just feels kind of shapeless. And it feels like the last couple issues have positioned the main characters of this book are like Kitty and Emma and Storm, 
and it's kind of like breaking up into what the three of them have going on in this issue. And it's like, pick a lane. Like, who are we following? What are we doing? What is the through line? Like, what are what is the story you're trying to tell? Because it feels like you're half telling me like three or four stories right now. Like, when's the last time the Marauders went and did pirate shit? Like, <laughs> are they pirates? I mean, Emma said they that that would. Were. <laughs> right. I, I, I've, I've not been hot on this book. By, I feel like since the beginning, and this. At, this issue doesn't convince me otherwise. Um, I think the art has gotten better. I think I remember being like pretty critical of either Lolly or Caselli in previous reviews, um, but this one seemed to have done a better job. Uh, but story wise, man, I don't know where Duggan's going. I don't. I feel like I'm lost as to like what's in play. And what isn't, and what everybody's end goal is, uh, it, it, none of it really seems all that clear. <clears throat> and I'm, I'm, I'm personally just not interested in, in like the story. And and again, we go back to Madripoor, and it's like, like we we aren't moving, we aren't moving on from where this was in issue like five. And yeah. We're 12 issues past that, man. Like, I think I, I, I need more movement. The thing that frustrates me the most is that you, you said, like, I'm not interested in, in the story. And, like, I actually disagree. Like, I am interested in the story. It just doesn't feel like they're interested in telling me the story. Like, and what I'm, is I'm the, at the story, point, though? Because I'm confused, genuinely. Well, because that's the thing is there's so many things that play at this point, right? Like, it's like the initial onset was Kitty is leading this group and they're liberating mutants in vulnerable places and the mystery of why her powers aren't working and like, okay, so that's been resolved. So she's supposed to still be out doing her pirate thing. She hasn't been doing that in a long time. We don't know what the fuck's going on with that. Right. But then there's also the storm stuff of it all where it's like storm is leaving and maybe doing a thing. And she's been having this journey that's supposed to be going on in the background, but it doesn't really feel like it's going anywhere. And I can't tell you what's happening. And then Emma's playing her whole game and they're buying land in Manjapur and they're meeting world leaders and establishing these, you know, and it's like, it feels like it's a, it's supposed to be about the hellfire club overall. And then like Kitty's relationships and, and all that. But it's like, there's so much going on that it feels like nothing is going on. So allow me to quickly break down this particular issue so that listeners who, you know, haven't read it, um, understand what we're dealing with. Um, so the issue is is built really around uh, Callisto, who is or Calypso, Calypso, Callisto, Callisto, yeah, Oof, whoa, uh, Callisto, who is depowered after. Um, what uh, Scarlet Witch did and her going through the Crucible, which is now being taken care of, at least for the time being, by Silver Samurai now that um, Apocalypse is gone. Um, and that that was one element of it. We see that Kitty Pride, as Pete um, mentioned earlier, wants to repay the individuals who um, helped out Lockheed after the attack by Shaw where we thought that Lockheed was dead. Um, we see her pay a visit to the Verendi group um, and, you know, just talk trash with them, invite them to the Hellfire Gala. 
um, which we now, I mean, now the book is clearly full speed ahead on the Hellfire Gala. That's what, that's where we're yeah. going. Mm-hmm. Um, we actually see Jumbo Carnation again, which is pretty cool. We haven't seen him in a while, and he, he- reappears to to speak to Emma about her wardrobe, as well, you would expect. Did you catch that the the old guy flirts with him? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't catch that the first time. It was when I was looking at the pages. Now I was like, "Oh, he's blushing in the second one." I didn't realize that guy was like winking at him. <laughs> yeah, I thought that was funny. Yep, it's like salty um, old sea dude. Like, <laughs> so uh, yeah, I mean that's that's basically what happens. And again, not not bad. It's not that the story is bad. It's not that. It's just, it's just that this this is what happens when you have a whole crew of creators who are marching to the beat of one creator's drum. They all have to reach the point of the Hellfire Gala. Every single X-Men book has to reach that point, presumably, because they're all going to tell stories within that space. But they can't do that until it's time to be at the Hellfire Gala. So every book is going to kind of inch their way to that story. And it feels like none of the X-Men books have really had the space to fully develop whatever narrative it is that they're trying to tell because they're always working towards the next event or big reveal that they have to address. Sure. It feels like they're constantly in a tie-in. I think mm-hmm. this book also probably suffered more than most of them, right? Because it had that significant interruption um, that did like, you know, we talked about that with the last issue, that the last issue probably was supposed to happen before Ten of Swords. And, you know, like that that got screwed up. So that I think that probably exacerbates what was already a problem, you know? Yeah, and I don't know how they really get away from that. Um, it's it just kind of is what it is. And 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 to be fair, some of the books don't feel that way. Like X Force feels like it's doing its own thing. But again, these books don't feel like they're allowed to do anything major because everything major seems to happen in an event or a book written by Hickman. Yeah. Um, that being said, the Callisto stuff I did feel was heartfelt. Unfortunately, they haven't paid much attention to the character recently. So in a way, it felt, it felt like it was it felt a little bit weird. Like you're like maybe you're supposed to resonate more with Storm during that sequence, even though Kalisto's the one that is going through the crucible. Mm-hmm. Um so that was a little bit disconnected. And that was the core emotional front of the book, for me anyway. And so because they didn't exactly nail that this issue did fall a little flatter than most Marauders issues do. Not bad. It's not a bad issue, but um, it just didn't it – didn't ha- I don't think it had the punch that Jerry Duggan was actually going for. I agree. Um, cool moments, though, for sure. Like, I will say um, I, I do really like the way he writes Kitty, Kate. Yeah. Um, I think, like, the way that she handles uh, getting rid of those two, like – you know, military, police, whatever, rent-a-cop, she calls them, guys. Like, that was a really cool, like, scene. Just, like, the like the way that she threatens the one guy where she's like, oh, are you the smart one or, or not or whatever? And then they cut out, they pull out, and you find that she already has the sword phased through him, like, waiting for his response. I was like, 
that's fucking cold. Like, that's a yeah. cool use of her power. And I feel like Jerry does a good job of uh, thinking of novel ways to present her powers that you haven't necessarily seen, right? Like, I've never seen Kitty Pride do that in, in my memory, right? Um, so I, there's still things about this book that, I, that I'm connecting with and that I like, but I will say I'm, I'm getting fatigued with it a little bit. You know, I really want it to just fucking pick up the pace already. Like, go, go all steam ahead towards anything. Yeah. I will say the the one piece that I did like was that fight between uh, Storm and Callisto. It's uh, I guess it's sort of like more of an allusion to their earlier fight, like back in the '80s with Claremont when Storm was depowered mm-hmm. and she fought with her in the in the sewers. So I'm like, okay, cool. That's like a, a nice homage. They have that relationship there. But yeah, I wasn't sure who I was supposed to be feeling for, uh, but. Otherwise, uh, I appreciated the moment and and that like uh, that beat. The way um, they showed Storm uh, identifying her heart too, I thought was cool. Yeah, that was dope. That was cool. I think that that Marco, that's a great point, and that's definitely what was playing in my mind as I was reading it. But I guess to pull me out of it, if you don't know that. Then, oh, there's no weight. Yeah, there's no right. weight. They, I don't feel like they, you know, again, Callisto is not a character that they focused on, and I don't think this issue did a tremendous job of establishing her. And like, think back to the first Crucible scene that we saw, where really that scene is about establishing what the Crucible is and the horror of what these depowered mutants have endured, and the opportunity that they now have and what they have to go through to receive that. A potential gift it was a it was a setup for an idea and it felt big and powerful and if and it was impactful even though you didn't necessarily know the person who was going through the uh, the crucible um everything around it made that moment feel important whereas here it just didn't have that same weight to it and i think that there was maybe a, a little bit better of a way to present it but i am certainly not the writer of the story and i'm not going to say how Jerry Duggan should do things. Um, but I I just, I wish that moment had a little more to it. Yeah, for me, I felt like the context of it, I feel like it being contextualized in this issue where there's so many other things going on, it fell out of place. Um, and it feels like an emotional moment in a book, in an issue that's not really about that. You know, and I don't know, maybe if it was just this and the kitty side of things it would have been okay but i think the emma stuff feels so normal and mundane um it took away from it for me it felt it felt like one of three stories in a in a in an anthology kind of thing you know um which isn't inherently bad it just something about it didn't click for me yeah what's the identity of of the marauders book at this point you know what is yeah what is what is the what is this book? I feel like it, it it's about those three women now, but like they're not all doing the same thing, which makes it feel weird, you know? Like if they were all aligned towards a goal, I'd be like, all right, great, cool. It's almost like three solo books, yeah. Like Yeah, said, like um, it's like they want to have an Emma, a Kitty, and a Storm book, and there's not room for that, so you have Marauders. Right. Like what happened to Pyro? Where's the last time we yeah. saw Pyro? Like where the fuck like, what's up with him? He died and came back and Feel like we haven't uh, seen him. Face tat. Yep. Yeah. He's off burning some shit. I don't know. And like Iceman too. Like Bobby was like the one of the main characters in this book. And I don't I don't remember the last time we saw Bobby. 
True. And he like he, had that. He wanted to leave, no? He did, but I. But what was up with that? Did he? Oh. Like, you know what I mean? Like, he had that that uh, romantic interest that I thought he wanted to go be with or whatever. But like, I don't know what's up with that or like, because it's the thing is, Kitty hasn't been off going on missions, so it's like, what what the fuck's her crew up to? You know, like, are they off yeah. doing their lives? Are they just waiting for the call? You know, like Bishop at least, like, you know, is like her guy, right? Like, it makes sense that he's down doing what Emma's doing, right? Like. He's part yeah. of the Hellfire Club. The rest of them are just Kitty's friends. Like they're just along for the ride. Uh, I I was just con- uh, I wanted to clarify like what because I know Callisto's powers is just being like strength and tactical knowledge. But what's up with her going all like rainbow colored? I have never seen her do that. It was so okay. Know. They said it was like some kind of perception thing. She has something like that, but I always thought it was like she just can like. Um, tactically analyze the situation i don't know like for it to affect her physiology like that i don't know it was just weird i wasn't sure if anyone knew what was up with that my only familiarity with callisto is the 90s cartoon where they reiterate that storm versus callisto fight okay um, that happened in the comics so i've never seen her otherwise okay so it says callisto possesses enhanced senses of sight including night vision hearing smell taste and touch coupled with Possibly moderate degrees of enhanced conditioning, such as superhuman strength, speed, agility, etc. It has also been suggested that her mutant power grants her tactical brilliance that allows her to see the best way to engage in any given conflict. Right. That has nothing to do with what the hell we saw in this issue. Well, I think the first part, right? It's that she has enhanced senses. So, like, I'm guessing that it's that she has the ability to... I don't know. I guess it's like 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 an extra sense almost, you know, that it's like she has like heightened senses to a degree where like yeah, she yeah. experiences the world in a way that's different no, than what we can see. For sure, Storm literally says that. But what yeah. Marco and I are talking about is the panel where she's all like weird colored. That well, what I, is that? It's saying that that's her inter- interfacing with Krakoa for the yeah. which I didn't understand that, but maybe that's what it is, is that she's using all those perceptions and it's combining in her. It's like a visual representation, maybe of that. That was how I interpreted it. That it was like her like regaining that sense of sight, you know, quote unquote sight. Um, it'd be like so just not- getting an extra sense or having one of your senses taken away and then getting it back. Okay. I'm not saying it wasn't confusing. That was just my interpretation of it. Sure. <laughs> yeah. Uh, on the art side, I, I, I got to like, it's fine. You know, I don't like I, the way he draws Storm. I really don't. Yeah. And we've kind of, we've kind of said that time and again at this point. I don't think, I think Kate's hair looks kind of like a wig. Um, it just <laughs> doesn't have life. It's too big now. Yeah. And it, but it just feels, it just doesn't, it just, it's like a floof, you know, on her yeah, head. Like right. it's not it's like tacked you know, on. Yeah. It looks like it, it literally looks like he drew her and then like digitally placed the same exact hair again. In every shot. Um, <laughs> you know, I don't know why I feel that way, but that's what it looks like to me. I'm just kind of like not that into uh lolly's art at this point yeah i i feel like this book is not looking fresh anymore you know mm-hmm. um and it, you know it's only been 17 issues he's not even on every single one but even stefano caselli's art they look it's a very similar style 
for the sake of consistency. And I guess I just don't really love um, their style. That being said, I did think that uh, some of the paneling was pretty good, particularly during the fights. Uh, the fight between Storm and Callisto was good. Yeah. And I enjoyed even earlier than that, um, Silver Samurai's brief moments in the issue. Uh, that was all cool. But, you know, it's very basic four to five panels for the most part. Nothing particularly stand out. And um, that's kind of what we've been getting for 17 issues. And it's not good looking enough for me to say that this is a book you come to for the art. Mm -mm, At least not for not. me. No, I, I totally agree. Yeah. All right. So that's going to do it for our review of Marauders. If there are any books that you guys want to hear us tackle uh please let us know we'll definitely take a look at them you know we've been reviewing x-men and uh events for a while now things have slowed down as far as both of those things have gone really so if there's anything you want us to pick up and give a look you can write to us at the comics pals at gmail.com you can get us on social at the comics pals you can hit us up on youtube if you're there to leave us a comment for anything you can make sure to subscribe to the channel and hit that like button all of those things are free to do, and they help us out a lot more than they cost you. You can also join our Discord server. We take suggestions. We take questions for the show over there. We also take book club recommendations. So if you guys want us to do a book club based on one of your favorite books, feel free. Uh, we have a backlog, actually, of some of your suggestions, and we, int we intend to get to every single one. But there's only 12 months in a year, and we do one a year, one a month, one a year, huh? Uh, we do one a month, so uh, they're coming. Well, if we're only doing one a year, I can finally do Invincible. Make you read all 130 <laughs> some odd issues for a seven hour episode. Yeah. <laughs> um, thank you guys, of course, uh, as always, for listening and participating. Keep the comments coming in. Uh, go to Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Leave us a rating. Uh, go check out our older book clubs and things like that. I'm sure there's something you're going to find that you enjoy and make sure that you guys are preparing yourselves for the civil war book club, which is imminent. I promise you don't want to miss it with that. Let's get into the plugs, Pete. Thank you guys for joining us here in another episode of the comics pals. If you want to connect with me, I'm at loud underscore Pete on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, come chat with me about what you are watching, reading and playing and listening to in 2021. Um, one of my goals this year is to, uh, Trying to find some new stuff to get into, um, so uh, which I guess is what I do every year. So whatever, give me some stuff to check out. Uh, if you want to get some more content from me, you can uh, go check out the podcast, the Nintendo podcast I do over on Lupots.com. It posts on Mondays wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, you can go check out the new single from my band, uh, Long Friend Time Friend. Our new single, um, Fall Again, just came out last Friday. Uh, it's one of my favorite songs on the record, so I hope you'll check it out and let me know what you think about it. Marco. You can follow me at Mr. Marco Enomoto on Instagram and Twitter. Come tell us why you want us to review the next Swamp Thing Future State and every Swamp Thing uh, issue afterwards starting in March. And uh, you can follow Kale at Toto in Tow. That's T-O-T-O-I-N-T-O-W. I don't know why. He's grumpy. And then <laughs> Phil is Cyborg Bebop. Don't follow him. He's not good. <laughs> we can all agree there. As for me, I'm on Twitter and Instagram only at Sean Soapbox. Hit me up to talk about what comics you're reading right now, whether that be Future State 
or something from Image or something from Marvel, whatever it is, if you're enjoying comics right now, talk to me about them. I'll pick up what you recommend. With that, we're the Comics Pal signing off. Take care, guys. See you next week.